Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I have Dan Drake with me today. He is a licensed clinician and a CSAT supervisor. He's also a certified clinical partner specialist supervisor through AppSATS. He's the co-author of Letters from a Sex Addict. He's also EMDR trained and he is the founder and clinical director of Banyan Therapy Group in Studio City, California. In addition to his clinical background, he has taught and spoken domestically and internationally. His passion is to help sex addicts, their partners, and families restore relational, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual wholeness to their lives. Dan strives to provide a safe environment where his clients can grow and heal. He uniquely blends his experience with addicts and partners to provide relational healing and integration through all phases of the treatment process. His website is banyantherapy.com, and we will link to that from our website. Welcome, Dan. Thank you, Anne. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor to be here. So I asked Dan to come on the podcast today to continue talking about abuse within the context of sex addiction. So Dan, this topic is very relevant and we're seeing it play out in our world today. What makes you so interested in the topic of domestic abuse? Coincidentally, this was a topic that we at our group wanted to put out some articles about. We've just seen this play out so long, especially with sex addicted individuals. You've already had Dr. Manwala on and I'll say my background, actually, I worked with Omar for nearly five years. I got to see firsthand the impact that this was having on couples. And unfortunately, so many people are not addressing this. One thing I will say, and I think it's important for me to say on the outset, I'm a male therapist and I'm also in recovery from sex addiction. So I think that's important for me to put out there because in no way, especially talking about a topic like this, I don't want to come across mansplaining anything. I've seen this play out. I've seen this be so detrimental. At least in my experience, I've seen it being one of the most damaging pieces of sex addiction for betrayed partners. Let's talk about what is domestic abuse, because so many people do not define pornography use or lies or infidelity or like a secret sexual life. They don't see those types of things as domestic abuse. How do you define domestic abuse, especially within the context of sex addiction? I talk to a lot of guys and they'll say, well, I've never laid a hand on her. And the impact can still be the same, whether it's intimidation, domesticviolence.org, there's a definition that they have. It's any behaviors that one person in a relationship uses to control another in the relationship. So that could involve name calling, put downs, keeping a partner from contacting their family or friends. So that social isolation is a big piece. Withholding money. So how many times do finances get involved where you feel trapped because you don't have resources to escape or to get some independence, stopping a partner from getting or keeping a job, actual or threatened physical harm, and that could include also sexual assault, stalking, or intimidation. So to me, it's all about power, control, diversion, and we can see this play out emotionally, psychologically, financially, as well as isolation of the other person or spiritually sometimes too. And specifically when we're talking about a secret sexual life, when they're trying to control the narrative of who they are through lies, right? And hiding their sexual behaviors from their spouse. That can be a form of control. They're trying to control how other people perceive them. From your perspective, Dan, how does domestic abuse play out in couples healing from abuse and betrayal trauma? I see it a lot of different ways. AppSats, I was part of the founding board. I was fortunate to be a part of that. And we were putting the curriculum together. And 
one thing that we needed to address was domestic abuse because we'd seen this pattern so much. So I was able to be part of that curriculum development. And I started looking at the domestic abuse literature. I tried to compile all the different ways that this happens. The biggest way that someone can control another person is controlling the narrative. And that's not just through hostility. That can be through lies of omission or commission. I might be saying one thing, but I might be doing another, or I could just be withholding pieces. And that's actually a huge part of the way this plays out. And I've heard over and over and over again, variations of this from betrayed partners. They'll say, you know, I can handle the truth. I just can't handle the continued lies and deception. So some variation of that happens over and over again. And I think that becomes a manipulation control strategy that addicts use. I mean, it could go from as subtly as disparagement, abusive jokes, putting your partner down. Addicts might use that strategy. And then when they're called on it, then they're just like, oh, you can't take a joke. So it's these quote unquote jokes, but they're not funny. They're put downs, they're ridicules. I see a lot of narcissistic clients use disqualification, discounting. So they'll feel threatened if you start to shine, whether that's in career or socially or in any capacity, you know, sometimes they operate on this sense that if you have something, that means I have something less. I'm saying, okay, well, you just got lucky or it's not that big of a deal. So they'll put you down to not let you shine in a lot of ways so that they can preserve their own image of being big. This can get even more aggressive with hostility. And to me, I see hostility as more verbal aggression. So that's a way that you can subjugate someone verbally. Also, that doesn't just happen verbally. I've seen a lot of intimidation. So they'll induce fear in the other person. That could be through threatening gestures, towering over somebody. Whether there's actual physical violence or not, they, they still might feel threatened. So that's certainly part of domestic abuse. Another way that I see this actually is through imposition of behavior patterns is a category I call, which to me includes social isolation. This also can include what I call abusive insistence. This is where spiritual abuse can come in sometimes where someone says, well, you're supposed to submit to me. That means that it's your duty to have sex with me, whether you want it or not. To me, that's abuse. If you can't consent and you're using religion as a way of saying you have to do something, to me, that's abuse. It can be undermining or sabotaging success or someone's sense of their own self-worth. Those are more direct. There's some other more passive or indirect type of abuse strategies that I see as indifference or diversion. It could be withholding sex, withholding emotions, withholding love and praise and touch and validation. So, so many betrayed partners, they might have had decades where they're just so touch deprived, so starved for love from their partner. And to me, that's abuse too. And then you've got ones that are more subversive. That's where we get into gaslighting and these other kind of covert manipulation. I call it apparent kindness. That could be, you know, you're really tired. You're so tired right now. Why don't I go run the errands? In actuality, he's using this to go act out. The intent is not kindness. It's actually to get an alibi. I think it's really interesting because abusers could listen to this podcast, which thank goodness, most of the people who listen to the podcast are victims, but they can listen. And then these same things were used against me to abuse me. For example, when I would want to set a boundary because I didn't feel safe and I didn't want to have sex, then I would be accused of withholding love. For example, we only had one car. So I was accused of controlling his transportation. I thought it was interesting that he went down the abuse checklist and 
manipulated it and found ways to say that I was abusive in those ways. Then it was like, okay, what, are we both abusive? It got really, really confusing. And I think that's part of where the gaslighting comes in is the refusal to take accountability and turning the tables on someone. So the reality gets so confusing. I just remember thinking, what is real? What isn't real? Am I going crazy? Let's talk about that for a minute. Let's talk more about gaslighting as a strategy for domestic abuse and what women can do when their abusive partners are accusing them of abuse. Thanks for sharing that. And I, unfortunately that happens so much. What do we do for safety or what are we doing in the grieving process? Understandably, you're going to be angry after this betrayal comes out. So a lot of times addicts can use that, unfortunately, as a strategy to turn it right back on you. Well, you're the one doing this, this, and this. You're acting this way and they'll call you crazy. They hurl chaos tornadoes where they stand back and spin it to such a way that you feel crazy, and then you start acting in ways that justify what he's actually doing. So that's part of what gaslighting is, is a way of manipulating reality so that you take on these characteristics that he's putting on you. This DARVO strategy, which comes from Jennifer Fried's work, DARVO is how this plays out, where the perpetrator goes from being the perpetrator to the victim. DARVO stands for deny, attack, reverse, victim, offender. If your intuition saying something, you're not wrong. Domestic abuse is the abuser's problem. It's not in any way your problem. So you didn't cause it. You didn't do anything to deserve it and you can't fix it. It's his problem, not yours. So much of how society's run for so many years has been turning and blaming the victim. You know, that's why I wanted to be one man on this show to say, that's not okay. I'm so grateful for this time in our society and how important it is to be talking about domestic abuse because there's way too many victims and we have to change this dynamic from when they continue to suffer. You mentioned that you are a recovering addict. In your recovery, have you realized some of your behaviors when you were active in your addiction were abusive? And how have you come to terms with that? I am fortunate where I did get into recovery before I met my wife. So I was able to disclose to her and give her the truth. In my active addiction, I did act in those ways, but not in my current relationship. I wasn't aware of these patterns. I don't think I would have ever intended to gaslight someone or harm someone. There's a part of my life that I wanted to keep secret. I wanted nobody to find this out because I hated myself. I hated that part of me. So I would lie. I would withhold. I would divert the truth. Anytime we bring up the word abuse, everybody gets very nervous, right? Uh, Women think like, if I do admit that his behaviors are abusive, then do I have to get divorced? Or if a man says, okay, if I do admit that my behaviors are abusive, does that mean that I will be forever seen as this awful person? Can we talk about that for a minute? How talking about abuse doesn't necessarily have to equate with divorce or doesn't have to mean that someone is abusive forever, but it can be a step toward change. Sure, absolutely. Just as I would expect anyone coming to meet with me, let me show myself trustworthy through consistent trustworthy actions over time. Let me show that to you. I think the same thing with anyone. See his actions. What do his actions show you? Not just his words. His words might say one thing, but what are his actions backing that up? Are they? Do they go together? For anyone listening, I think you can see over time, is he consistently working on those things? Best case scenario, he may not have known that he was being abusive, but once he's aware of it, is he working on that? 
what's his plan to address those things? And you had Omar Minwala on, and that's something that's a big part of his program. And I think that's a great contribution is looking at the domestic abuse patterns and addressing them. Because one big, huge fundamental flaw I see in a lot of sex addiction recovery right now is there's a focus on sobriety. And then there's very little focus on relational healing, which involves all these attributes of abuse. I have a relational circle plan to try to bring in those patterns. To answer your question, if the addict starts to see these patterns and then they work on them, I think there's hope. Yet a lot of that's going to depend on what the actions of the addict are over time and if he's consistent with those. Well, it gives me hope for myself. There are moments where I want to control my children, for example, because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And so I yell when I should not be yelling. And I realize, okay, that was scary. That was scary to my kids. That was scary to me. That's not okay. Can I change, right? Can I do better? And I think all of us need to have that hope that we can do better, that we can improve, and that we can learn better ways of dealing with our fear. I have been thinking lately, though, that a lot of women who are continually in the abuse cycle, I think they say things like, he's working so hard. And so instead of setting boundaries, they're trying to be very supportive of their husband who is quote unquote working so hard on his recovery while still experiencing these abusive behaviors. Do you see that in your practice ever with women who don't want to set boundaries? Yes, I do. And, and it's heartbreaking because unfortunately, what does that mean? He's working so hard. What does that look like? What are the behaviors you're seeing? Again, going back to the behaviors, is he working the steps? Is he doing something actively to, to heal and restore the relationship? Is he really getting the impact of these behaviors on you? Those are the things that you want to be looking at. Is he really consistent? Is he minimizing? Is he getting defensive right off the bat? Is he saying it's your fault? Is he putting you down? Does he not follow through with things? Even the small things. Boundaries are for safety, not for punishment. So always have to emphasize that. Boundaries are for you. They're for t to take care of you. They're not for him. They're not to control. Addicts will do that. They'll say, oh, you're controlling me. But all you have to know is it's really about you and taking care of you. And this is for safety. He broke this and now it's his job to initiate the repair. If we're calling someone an abuser or not, I think we can get hung up on a label. If we can talk about what the behaviors are and how damaging they are, that's what I really want to see. For a lot of therapists or coaches or counselors, sometimes we get uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to talk about domestic abuse. Who wants to address this with clients sometimes? It's really uncomfortable. If you do it in a way that that's saying, we're not trying to shame anybody, but we really have to say this is damaging and I can't sign up for you damaging your partner or for you being in a relationship that's not safe. Yeah, I've been thinking about teaching my sons who are nine and six about boundaries and consent and these issues related to domestic abuse. And my son said to me the other day, he's like, mom, I made my daughter, I won't say her name, but I made her some cereal, but I forgot to get her consent and I gave her the wrong kind of cereal. And I thought that was so cute that he was thinking about consent, right? He said, I forgot to ask her what she wanted. And, and he related that to consent. And I think that we can start talking to our children about this. We can start talking to each other about this. And the more we can get educated about really what consent is and what domestic abuse is in terms of 
how do we treat other people really, truly with respect in terms of getting their consent, telling them the truth, giving them all the information that they need to make good decisions, not trying to control them through intimidation, through anger, how we can have truly peaceful relationships, which I think is the goal, right? That's what we're all working toward is happy, peaceful, and safe relationships. What advice would you give our listeners who are impacted by domestic abuse right now in relation to their husband's sexual acting out? First of all, for any betrayed partners listening, I have the utmost empathy and compassion for what you must be going through. I can't even imagine how painful this must be, how confusing it must be. Your story needs to be heard. You have a right to be heard. And, you know, the the great coaches that you can find, therapists, you know, if you're the victim, you can get help, you can get support. I want you to find safety and find that healing because I do think that there's hope. This is to any men that are listening or that should be listening as a perpetrator. It's not okay. This is not her problem. You need to know that. It's not enough to get sobriety. That won't heal your relationship. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. You also have to do those things that are going to heal your relationship, which means stopping those abusive patterns and doing things that are healing, providing empathy, giving support, being consistent. So consistent, trustworthy actions over time, showing love, really showing an amends, a lived amends. And it means taking responsibility instead of playing the victim card or being a martyr or making her the bad guy. At Betrayal Trauma Recovery, we truly believe that people can change if they can recognize their behaviors, be accountable, honest, humble, and willing to submit to the process of recovery. But our goal as victims is to find safety while we wait to see if they will change. Because if they haven't changed yet, then we're still not safe in the moment. And how can we create safety in our lives? Then we can make decisions coming from a peaceful place of safety rather than reacting to the abuse. So many women are talking about it and they're trying to share their stories. It's wonderful to have men join the conversation and to listen and to hear what we are saying. Abuse is a victim issue and a perpetrator issue, right? Having men be open to recognizing which behaviors are abusive and women too, all of us need to be aware of what behaviors that we might be doing that are abusive to our families, our children, What I don't want victims to think is, oh, I don't want to abuse my abuser by holding him accountable. There's a place for anger. A lot of men will see understandable anger that that partners will have. They'll label it as abuse. So it's another gaslighting strategy. So it gets really complicated. It gets really tricky. And I think that's where the general therapist who doesn't understand abuse gets very confused is they start seeing it as they're both equal rather than seeing that she is a victim and his attempts to label her as an abuser are just a continuation of the abuse. The things that he is saying about her, over-exaggerating her faults, over-exaggerating her weaknesses, accusing her of hurting him are just abuse. So tell me about your upcoming in-person event in Southern California. In a few weeks on November 3rd, we've got an event that we're doing called Surviving the Holidays. It's a free event for the community. We're just trying to have anyone that's in the LA area to come and basically talk about how do we handle this holiday season. We're going to try and give some resources, including you know some guides for traveling and how do we keep safety around uh, travel programs and things like that. So that's something we've got coming up. And you can get more information about that at banyantherapy.com. 
Dan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. A thank you to those of you who support the podcast through your recurring monthly donation. We would love to have your help to continue taking this free podcast to the world. Please offer a recurring monthly donation. Your donation enables women to learn how to move towards safety. We are looking forward to Giving Tuesday, which is the Tuesday after Thanksgiving as people are going about their shopping with Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Giving Tuesday is a time where you can give back to the nonprofit organizations who have helped you. So this year for Giving Tuesday, we're prepping by letting everyone know that we would like you to donate money on Giving Tuesday and also to contact your friends and family members and ask them to make a donation to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, which has helped so many women. So we can continue to bring quality educational podcasts and information to women who desperately need our support. We are adding two new Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group sessions in November, so keep an eye out for that. And as always, if you don't know where to start, visit our individual sessions page. That will help you know the different topics that we recommend women know about as they start their recovery journey. And until next week, stay safe out there.